All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today, I want you to remember back a few months ago, let's go back to August of 2021, that terrible month where the bungled withdrawal from of U.S. troops from Afghanistan embarrassed America on the world stage. Well, it did, and a famous a Marine, a, a Lieutenant Colonel Marine, who was just doing his job suddenly became worldwide famous when he called out his military leadership on social media. He ultimately got thrown in the brig and discharged from the Marines. But that Marine, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, is joining us today. He's going to tell us why he did it, what he learned from it. Would he do it again? Would he make any changes to what he did? What is wrong with the military? What's right with the military? And... Is he a guy that's going to run for political office? We're going to get an answer from him on that as well. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Exciting interview. First time we've had the chance to talk to this now very famous Marine who bucked the system, risked his career to speak out against the military leadership's handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Lieutenant Colonel Shell is going to be here in just a few minutes. You're not going to want to miss that. And then we don't want to ever give you a boring moment on this show. We're going to introduce you to Mark Weinstein. Why is he important? He is the founder, the creator, now the chief evangelist of the social media platform known as MeWe. I've been trying to introduce you over the year to all of these alternative platforms other than Facebook and Twitter because they are more committed to combating censorship, more committed to protecting your privacy. Well, MeWe and Mark Weinstein's group, they made privacy the primary focus of their social media. They will not sell ads. They will not sell your data. And yet they found a business model that works, that generates millions of dollars without having to sell your privacy protected information to advertisers to bombard you with ads. That's an amazing experiment. And Mark is going to be here right after Lieutenant Coach Scheller to tell us how they pulled it off. How does it work? What is the future of social media? Are Twitter and Facebook in danger? A lot of people I'm talking to think they may have peaked and are now on the decline because of the great 
uh, rejection of their privacy policy because of the great rejection of their censorship. Well, we're going to get to talk to a guy who has his own massive platform at MeWe, and that's going to be a fun interview as well. So let's go take a quick commercial break, hear from our amazing advertisers and sponsors who do great work, and then we'll come back first up with Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, the Marine who dared to call out his commanders on the bungled Afghan withdrawal right after this commercial break. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, a very special guest, 
almost everybody has heard the comments, the video that uh, former Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller made, a Marine who dared to speak out about his command's failures in Afghanistan. Today, he's been let go for the Marines, but he's still speaking truth, still speaking out and talking about these issues. And we're very lucky to have him here with us today. Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, great to have you on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to come on and uh, reach all your guests. So thank you. It's it's an amazing story. And I think a lot of people have looked back at that extraordinary moment of August and are now taking stock of the full impact of the failed bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan. But I want to start uh, just getting our audience to know you, the person, you, the Marine, because you spent a long time serving our country. What motivated you to join the Marines and what was it like to be a Marine? Well, I graduated college with an accounting degree back in 2004. I got an accounting degree because I wanted to join the FBI. Um, And as I was working as an accountant, the war was going on. And I just kind of came to a decision that I wanted to go to the edge of the empire and have the opportunity to represent America, lead people in combat, and just give back to a country that's given me so much. And so... You know, after about six months of graduating college, after six months of, uh, you know, working as an accountant post-college, right. I reached out to my recruiter and started making my way. And so I, I became a Marine officer, got selected and, and joined officer candidate school in 2005. And I served for 17 years uh, up until Christmas Eve of 2021. So, you know, I really appreciated the opportunity. Quite honestly, I wouldn't be the man that I am without the opportunities. We've been at war that entire time. I got all the experiences that I was looking for. I think the junior service member has always impressed me with their abilities to solve problems and win tactical battles. I mean, we've won almost every tactical battle that we've fought over the last 17 years. And so it's been uh, it's been an awesome experience. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And by the time August 2021 rolls around, you were you were in charge of a of a, of a uh, uh, an infantry, right? You had a, a senior job of, of of overseeing the men and women under you. What was that like, and what were you doing in the Marines at that moment? Yeah, so I've been a company commander, you know, maybe over like five years. So I was a company commander at School of Infantry. I was a company commander in three two. I had a, a headquarters company and a weapons company, and then I was a company commander at the basic school as a major. And then I came, did a bunch of other jobs. Um, I was an EXO and a MARSOC battalion. I was uh, a regimental OPSO. And in the regimental OPSO job, I got selected for battalion command. And that was a training command. It was an advanced infantry training battalion. And so it was at the School of Infantry. And it's basically where we do all the advanced schools. So if you want to go be a sniper or a squad leader school or platoon sergeant school, um, you know, we teach them at the Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. And so I had a, a great group of instructors. Um, and I had, you know, all my time in the Marine Corps was spent either in the infantry battalions, uh, lumping MARSOC in there, right. or training. So I worked at School of Infantry. I worked at the basic school. And now I went back to the School of Infantry as a battalion commander. So I was either in the infantry deploying or I was teaching it for 17 years. So I you know, I never took like a Pentagon job. I never took any job that was, you know, niche away from, you know, either executing or teaching. And so yeah. I felt like I knew my craft very well. I thought advanced infantry training battalion was right in my wheelhouse. I was probably the perfect fit for that job. 
And uh, yeah, I took that command in June of 21, and I was only in the seat for a month and a half uh, before the events of uh, that unfolded in Afghanistan. Yeah. So you're sitting there, the uh, withdrawal begins, you see 13 comrades in arms killed in the, the bombing at the gate, uh, and America leave Afghanistan really with its tail between its legs. I think that's a fair thing. The, the, certainly the perception of that was uh, that obviously we, we have great men and women, they left proud, but the perception to the world was we exited in the most undignified way and let down our allies and let you know let down the uh, sacrifices we had made for 20 years. We had relinquished them in the way we exited at what moment do you say, you know what, I know this is going to come at a consequence, but I've got to speak up? Yeah, so this wasn't something that just happened the day of, right? So this is, I've been thinking about foreign policy. You know, I have a, a master's degree in writing. My thesis was on how to improve foreign diplomacy. And, you know, I, all my deployments, I've been thinking about how we could do this better and Afghanistan, the fallout of it, the withdrawal, was one of those things that I was watching real time. This took place for like two weeks where I'm watching the news, I'm watching social media, and I'm just watching the fallout occur, and I'm getting more and more angry every single day. And you also got to keep in mind the previous unit, like I said, before I took over Advanced Infantry Training Battalion, I was the Regimental OPSO. As the Regimental OPSO, I was 1-8, the unit that went over there that got attacked, was is in six Marines. So I was the OPSO that, you know, made sure that they were ready to deploy. You know, I was working with their OPSO and their XO uh, on a daily basis. I, like, I knew all the company commanders in that unit. And then 1-8 was also the first unit I was in. I deployed to Ramadi with 1-8. So I'm, I'm intimately familiar with 1-8 having to respond to this thing as it's unfolding. And then the commandant on 18 August released a letter because everyone was getting upset. Right. And it essentially, it essentially said, hey, your sacrifices over the last 20 years were worth it, but if you're struggling, you need to go seek counseling. And then that made me even more angry because I was like, hey, the tactical level has been won every single time. You're making it seem like their sacrifices weren't worth it. It's not them who failed. It's at the operational combatant command general officer, national security council, strategic level that has failed consistently, and he doesn't address it at all. And so I was, I was mad when I read that because, like, he either doesn't get it or he doesn't care, but either way, it's unacceptable. And so I'm mad, and then on August 26th, when the attack happened and we lost uh, Marines in 1-8, I just got to a moment where I thought, I know no one's going to be held accountable. I know that they're going to brush past this. And I know if I make a video and post it publicly, I'm probably going to be fired over it. So, I mean, even when I made the video and said all the things that I said, I still didn't post it right away. I mean, I drove back to my house and like paced in front of my house, deciding whether I should hit post because I knew the ramifications of that. Yeah. But ultimately, it was a consequential move of the finger when you hit post. That's right. That's right. Like your whole life changes with the click of the button. No, were you surprised how quickly the post took off? How quickly it spread? The the sentiments, you know, really getting spread. Like it was like a wildfire. People really couldn't believe that a that an active duty marine was speaking this, and and uh, and it seemed like people really rallied around the the concepts that you were talking about in that video. Yeah, I think up to that point, everyone was angry, but I don't think anyone 
articulated the problems in the manner that I did. And then you couple that with my rank and experience and billet, and it was insulting to the organization in a lot of ways. And so, yes, when I posted it, I had no idea it would take off in the manner that it did. But on the flip side, like I said, I was debating on whether posting it. On the flip side, one of the scarier things was only like 200 people seeing it and then me still getting fired anyway, right? Right. Like one of those 200 people seeing it being my boss. So like there was extremes. There was like you're going to have wild success and then there's just no way to put the the lid back on the bottle or you have very, very marginal success. No one hears about it, but your life anyway. Right. And so I guess I was thinking it was going to be somewhere in the middle and I was still willing to take the risk, but you know, as it played out, it, it, it reached a lot of people. Yeah, it clearly did. It came with a hard cost for you, right? You end up being discharged from the Marines before you have your full pension, despite all the work that you've done for our country. Uh, you spent some time in the brig, uh, you had to go through a judicial process. And when you signed your stipulation of facts, um, I was struck by these words that you knew you were willfully disobeying an order, but you had to do so because you wanted the American people to hear hard truths. Uh, do you still feel that way now? And as you, you stepped aside, you've had some time to look back. Um, that, re- that's, that was your goal, right? You wanted the Americans to hear hard truths that other people weren't willing to say. Yes, I do agree with that i mean in terms of the the stipulation of fact and the legal deal ultimately when i was in the brig they offered me a special court martial where i would have to sign a bunch of stipulations of fact and plead guilty to everything or you know i roll the dice and i go to a general and so i honestly think i probably could have won at the general because there was so much undue command influence and just so much nefarious play by the government and the way they mishandled it and were disproportionate. But it felt like, like the most important thing to me was my message. It felt like if I was demanding accountability to beat all the charges on legal technicalities, almost marginalized my original message. And my original message was what was most important. And so I decided to take the special plead guilty to all of them. Then I had to sign the stipulation of fact. I mean, the stipulation of fact, quite honestly, I don't, I didn't fully agree with a lot of that that I signed, but it was like, it wasn't, it was like, it was binary. It's right? like you plead guilty at special or you plead not guilty to all in general. Right. right. And then even in the stipulation of fact, like the government waited until the day before my court martial to give us a copy of it. And when they gave us a copy of it, in the this is I don't no I haven't told anyone this this is true I've been waiting to reveal this in the copy of it they in the they said for my videos there was like child pornography and I was like what are you talking about they had like copy and pasted old charge sheets there was like no critical thought in it and like that's so it was we someone else's date. charge sheet from before they yeah. left the pornography yeah. stuff in you believe that like that's how wildly incompetent some of these processes are wow. and like i get it i've copy and pasted but like to take me to the day before the court martial i still don't have my stipulations of fact you know and then when you give it to me you give me somebody else that was looking at child pornography i was like i mean you, you just can't make this stuff up so wow. my defense team actually wrote most of the stipulation of fact and then gave it back to the prosecutors and then they validated it and then like the night, literally, I take that back, not the night before, the morning of 
I went into my lawyer's office and was like signing that thing because like that's how close we took it to the the court marshal. Yeah, so, to the deadline. So like the the weight that I place in that document is very little. Like that document, I mean, I signed it on my way to the courthouse. We wrote most of it. I mean, they were sending me stuff about child pornography. I mean, it was just it's it was a joke. Yeah, yeah. The whole it does show that uh, there's there's a lot of things broken in the military. I think I've I've had the blessing to talk to so many amazing men and women in armed service. And we've been able to reveal a lot of things over the years about wrongdoing or mis, uh, bad judgments in the military. We had some, uh, uh, I worked very closely with Rowan Scarborough at the Washington Times when there were some uh, uh, men in the field who were wrongly accused of a friendly fire incident that actually belonged to a general above them. And we got them acquitted by getting the facts out. But there is so much broken. And, and you say in some of your posts, and I want to see if you can just expound what you mean by this, uh, that the that the system, the military system is just broken, right? It, it describe, I mean, obviously, they're very effective men and women that know how to fight on the ground. We know how to deploy equipment. We, uh, we, we know how to get regiments together and uh, we know how to do training. Where is the broken part? When you look at it, what's the most broken part of the military system today? Yeah, so a couple of things. So one, the military on the tactical level is very effective. Where we are failing wars is at the operational level and the strategic level. And that's the general officer to the political realm link that just consistently is failing. And I think that starts with accountability. I think if you hold senior leaders accountable, you'd be more effective. So just use Afghanistan, for example. So I know the planners, there's operational planners over there that built plans that included Bagram Air Base. And they presented that. And those were shot down. And the National Security Council and the president said, no, I want less people. I want to get people out of Afghanistan. Right. So we're not going to keep Bagram. And so at that critical moment, so you're General McKenzie, you're the CENTCOM commander. Now, a good staff officer knows that when they present plans, they have to convince their boss that their plan is the best plan. Right? So there's an art to that. So he failed in that art, okay? So, all right, now you have resources and restraints on your plan, and it's probably not the plan that you want. So you have a choice. You can resign. There's a lot of risk with senior general officers resigning because then it becomes political. So then any politician that they don't like, they just resign, and it, it becomes almost more partisan. So there's a lot of people that disagree with that. But if the plan is unexecutable and you're going to get people killed, then I don't think you have any other choice but to resign. But let's say you're in the other camp argument saying, no, generals can't resign. Well, this is my position. If he couldn't convince them to accept the plan that made sense and he didn't have the courage to resign, then at that point, once he assumes the plan with the resources and restraints, he's accountable. He is the one that's accountable. It's not the president's fault. It's not, you don't get to go back and say, no, the president, I told him, I gave him options and this is the one he picked. You had options. You had the ability to convince him or you had the ability to resign. You didn't do any of that. So now it's your plan, General McKenzie, and you're accountable. So that's when I say accountability, like I get it that you work for civilian leadership, but a military professional, a subject matter expertise has a responsibility to talk the civilian leadership into the best course of action, or if it's just not executable and you can't pull it off, you resign, or you assume 
responsibility and accountability for the resources applied to you by that civilian leadership. Like there is no fourth option. There's no like, then the plan fails and everyone just points at each other. And that's, that's that, like that is not acceptable. Yeah. And that's what goes on too often, right? Everybody walks away from a disaster. No one's really accountable and it's just called inevitable, right? Whether it's the drone strike where we killed civilians or or the 13 uh, troops that were unnecessary lost at the gate. Uh, There doesn't ever seem to be anyone who walks away with any real assignment of accountability. Is that what frustrates folks like you who've worked on the front lines? Yes. If you fix that problem, I mean, I could rattle off like I could rattle off four other fundamental problems in the military, but quite honestly, the accountability would probably fix all our other problems. Yeah. And what what really is deeply troubling to me, there's a lot of things troubling to me. I mean, I'm personally invested in this. You got a secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, who comes in and spends a hundred days orienting to all these problems. I could, I could list off so many deep systemic problems in the military. And then he, publicly announces, all right, I've done my problem framing. I've decided the biggest problem facing the DOD is COVID. And I just like wanted to put my head through the wall. Like, are you kidding me? You're the secretary of defense. You know, we've got these wars going on that you're trying to wrap up. We've got, you know, we got systemic problems in our education system. We got systemic problems in our spending and procurement. One of them, in my opinion, is senior general officers uh, exacerbating the oligopoly between the government contracting companies, which he was the Raytheon board director, uh, or one of them, in between his CENTCOM com- combatant commander role and the Secretary of the Defense. And for him to say COVID and make that his focus, like, I just don't know if these guys don't understand the problems facing the military or if they're just singing the political narrative. But either way, it's unacceptable. And so, yeah, I'll, I mean, all these things are going through my head, and it just, I got to a point where it's like, this is crazy. Like, the emperor has no clothes. You have to see it. Now, some in the media have tried to suggest that some of your comments were supporting the violent overthrow or violent insurrection of um, of America. I want to ask you that question. Do you, are you calling for, have you ever called for people to rise up by arms and take over America? I have never advocated for that. Now, I'll just go through each one of my statements that were controversial. Sure. So, first of all, If you were to ask me, would you go back and do this over again? I would. The one thing I would change is to tweak some of your verbiage. Like it's so hard to put out 20 messages that thousands of people are picking apart because, you know, I think anyone would question the content of my statement. What has tripped me up are selective out of context, little statements that people try to use to discredit my whole message. Right. And so when I resigned, I have a farm and I actually have school buses where Prior to this event, I brought veterans that were struggling with PTSD out there. I have a nonprofit that I partnered with, and we would do outdoor therapy with on four-wheelers. Sure, that's so important. So I have this. So I did a sec. My second video was on a school bus that I have out on my farm, and I basically resigned. And at the and I was, you know, this is me giving up my whole life. It was very emotional. It was very stressful. And at the end, I said, "I'm going to bring your whole fucking system down." Yeah, hopefully you can edit that word. Yeah, that's okay. But that that little phrase was just, I mean, I was just beat over the head with it. And I meant it yeah. as a metaphor, right? I, I didn't advocate violence against any person or against any specific place. Right. I was talking about a system that is corrupt and broken and needs to be fundamentally changed. Now, because I said that statement, it took away from everything else I was saying because it allowed people to just kind of discredit me with it. And I even went back in a follow-up post and said, in a constitutional manner with one loud voice, like right. trying to round it you out. You did? But, yep. 
I did. But, and, and it was, you know, that was brought up in my court martial too. Like I, I kept saying that, like, look at this follow on post. I say in a constitutional manner with one loud voice, but still like that one statement, but whatever, you know, like I'm not perfect. I'm deeply flawed. And I stand by like everything I said was true. Like there's, there's things I would have said differently, but I have never advocated for violence. Now I will say I've quoted the declaration of independence as well. That says if the government is not serving the interests of the people, it is the people's responsibility to throw off that former government. Like that's in our founding document of how our government is built. And so people lose sight that like these people, people think that the government has to provide answers to all our problems. The truth is the government doesn't have any power. The power resides in the people. They just kind of lost sight of that. And so this, that was like my message. And I kept harping back to that. And so like, literally when I quoted the declaration of independence, people were telling me that I was a violent extremist <laughs> and that I was advocating for the overthrow of the government. And I was like, is this, like, I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. Like guys, this is the verbiage yeah, of the declaration the of independence. documents of America. Yep. How am I a violent extremist for talking about the declaration of independence? Like it's, it's, it's just crazy how far we've come to be honest with you. Yeah. The last few years have sown so much craziness and, I think people are stepping back and taking some oxygen and saying, wait, stop the world. I want to get off. I want to fix this. Um, and I think, you know, your video was one of those moments that made people pause. I respect it, highly rated uh, Lieutenant Colonel Marine, who's a, a, a sterling record saying my leadership has let not only my, myself and my men and women down, but uh, the entire country down. It, I think that was a stop moment where people said, hey, we got to listen and find out what is going on here. You're now out of the Marines. I'm sure you do you miss do you miss the Marines? You miss that daily life that you had? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's really hit me yet. I got out on Christmas Eve. Right. You know, you got the holidays, and now I'm on. You know, I'm going from hotel to hotel doing interviews, and so probably in March once I finish all these interviews, and then I'm just sitting in my house with nothing to do. That the the world will come crashing down on me. But um, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is I'm gonna miss. It. I mean, it was. My, I spent my whole adult life doing it, right? right? And, you know, that's not unique to me. Every service member goes through that. But my whole life, I mean, I've been married with three kids for the last 17 years. Like, that kind of fell apart to this whole ordeal as well, right? right. So, always had been in a relationship, and now, now I'm single. I'm not in the Marine Corps. You know, it's just everything has changed for me, everything. And so... Yeah, I'm absolutely going to go through emotional sine waves where you're feeling good one time and then you hit a low. But, you know, I'm I'm a strong guy and I'll I'll manage through it. And I I truly believe that what I did was the right thing. So I think in the end, I'm going to end up on top and I've got a lot of supporters. So we'll just try to manage the new normal and, and figure out a new baseline. You have all this incredible experience. National's great. You got great degrees. You're well educated. You're well spoken. Uh, there's a moment now to. Uh, I want to ask you: Have you thought what's next? What can I do to continue serving my country or make a difference? Do you have any ambition for politics, for for going into other government agencies, doing things? What do you? What would you like to do to continue that mission of serving your country? Because it's obviously core to you. That's why you became a Marine. Uh, what What do you think is the next step for that? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. That's what everybody wants to know. I had. A lot of people reaching out to me, wanting me to jump into politics. I had a lot of people that thought this whole ordeal was just about a political move. Yeah. The truth is it was always apolitical for me. 
And it just seemed like a lot of Republicans supported me because Biden was a president. You know, you asked, did I ever talk about violent overthrow, which was attributed to me a lot. I also never mentioned Biden's name once. You didn't? And no? Was, I went through no, all the posts? You never did? I never mentioned Biden. and Because nope. I have a lot of respect for the, the office of the president, right? Sure. I did at one day, in my first video, I said I have growing con- discontent and contempt for my political and military leadership. But that's as close as I came to attacking yeah. any political leader. And so, and it just, like, go through the internet. Almost every article is Lieutenant Colonel Scheller criticizing Biden and his botched Afghan withdrawal plan. Like, uh, I never mentioned No. Nope. And so this thing, almost like Kyle Rittenhouse, if you listen to some of his comments, like, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is just a kid, but the situation itself becomes very politicized. And, you know, I'm just a Marine officer who I like, I strongly believe Marine officers should remain apolitical. And the situation just became very politicized. So all that said, on the backside of this, just like you framed out, I am very passionate about the United States. I wrote my master's on how to make foreign diplomacy more effective, which in a lot of ways comes down to politics. And so I have an interest in politics. I used to go, I am conservative, but I, my political beliefs are, I think the extreme right and the extreme left need to be separated off the spectrums. Because I think the central right and the central left, while they don't agree with each other, probably have more in common with each other than the extreme. Polling shows that. It's true. And it's funny is because, you know, Biden has a lot of problems and he's not, in my opinion, very good, but you don't, you can't hold a president accountable. The way you do that is through voting. But the American people aren't stupid. The reason Joe Biden was elected president is because he's a central guy. Like the Democratic Party, the the uh, opponents were like Bernie Sanders. Like most Americans don't want socialism, progressivism, you know, Marxism, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Most Americans don't want that. And President Trump has a lot of strengths. But the truth is, like, whether you believe in the voting fraud, yes or no, there were people that voted for him in the first election that didn't vote for him in yep, the second election. Like right. he did bleep off votes. Yep. And so that's why the American people chose Joe Biden, because quite honestly, he was the most central candidate. Like the central right and the central left, like have more in common than they realize. But the problem is we have all of these people that just don't understand, don't have experience in foreign diplomacy. They're politicians. They're not leaders. And so all of that to say, I am a conservative, but I think we need leaders and not politicians. Like, that's the bumper sticker. I want leaders, not politicians. And so I think to do that, I think veterans transition perfectly into leadership roles, plus they have foreign diplomacy experience. But it, does, it wouldn't have to necessarily be military. You could be from the Department of State or some other role where um, the takeaway is I've started a coalition of 25 candidates. So I've got five Senate candidates and 20 congressional candidates. Wow. And I done two Zooms with them and I'm doing another Zoom next week. And what I offer them is I've got access to political action committees, access to different media people, different groups. And I, I can bring coverage to a lot of these races. So my goal is to get you know out of these 25, five guys or gals up there with a vote. And, you know, that starts to make a difference. Yep. You get someone in a position of power. Yeah. So what I'd like to be able to do is, you know, if a veteran who gets out and wants to continue to serve and be a leader in politics and just doesn't have access to all the things that I have access to now, we can we can train him, we can, you know, screen him, and then we can throw him into a, a race that we think he could win. And I and I've I've built this up. So the website we have is votesforvets.org. 
we got about 60% of our candidates up there. Um, so you can check that out. You also, my website is authenticamericans.com. That's where, you know, it, it'll show kind of my political views in terms of the central nature of what we need to get back to, to get to a United States. You know, all this talk of civil war and almost secretarian violence, it almost feels like I just don't believe in that. I think we, we just like Lincoln need to be, uh, we're stronger as a union, as a United States. And so now there is, wildly different views in the metropolitan areas vice the rural country areas. And right. those ways of life are very different. But again, there's always going to be differences and we're not going to all agree on everything, but it takes effort to figure out what our similarities are. And there are a lot of things that we may have in common. We just got to take the time to think about it. And, you know, we've always been divided, but I think as I've studied this problem and George Bush Jr., who I just thought was t just awful at foreign policy um, in his beliefs of he could just export democracy. It, it just, all right. So, I'm, so there was him. He started polarizing, I think, a lot of people. And right about that time is when social media really took off and yeah, became popular. That's right. And you got Obama. So Obama has no experience in foreign policy. He comes from a wealthy family. He, you know, had an Ivy League school experience and he was very good public speaker. So he appealed to a lot of people on an emotional front, but he just lacked any type of internal fortitude, ability to do anything. Like Benghazi, like I haven't forgot about Benghazi. We had Americans fighting one verse yeah. 1,000 and he was watching it on video screens and they told the AFRICOM combatant commander to stand yeah. down. Like that's just, that's Did not A lot of work on that story. It's uh, still a travesty today. And so then, you know, Obama continued to polarize us. And then the transition between Obama and Trump, just like the way they personally interacted with each other, where they like couldn't even like talk to each other, that, I mean, was indicative of the state of our country. And it set the tone, like the leader set the tone. And, you know, Trump was a response to Obama. And so it's, it, imagine a pendulum and you know how you, you pull it to one side and it slowly starts yep. like the gravity swings it the other way. Our pendulum is like opposite. It's like it started <laughs> in the center. And as it goes a little bit to one side, then it goes back to the other side a little bit higher and higher and higher. And it's like each side wants the power. Once the pendulum starts swinging back, wants to point, say, look what they did. We need to swing it all the way over here. And we're, we're it's a, just a dangerous time. So I think we need to figure out how to stabilize a little bit. Uh, have presidents that can maybe talk to each other when they get a transition of power and do what's best for the country, uh, do what's best for the United States. And so what does that mean for me personally? I don't have probably the physical, mental, spiritual endurance right now to jump into a race. So what I plan on doing is supporting this coalition that I built and it's still growing and I'll probably jump into a race in 24 um, so I'll probably take a knee for the next two years, write a book, support the candidates as I can, and then yeah. reassess the the political landscape. And one day also, you could imagine yourself running for office too. That's your next form of public service in your mind, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I. Will. I, I just, you know, what else am I going to do? I mean, I, I can't go fishing. I can't. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't go work for somebody else. I, I could 
I mean, I could start a company. I've got some entrepreneurial companies I've started that have done well. Sure. That would probably be what I'd do if I, if I decide not to go into politics is I would start a company or, or somebody offered me like a CEO position, but I just, I couldn't work for another boss. Like I just, that's where I would draw the line. Yeah. You want to be your own boss at this point. And, uh, yeah. well, you have certainly set your own course. You have blazed the path and you, uh, uh, impacted and affected and made a lot of millions of Americans think for a second, what might've been wrong? What, how did we get this so wrong in Afghanistan? And for that, that has an enduring legacy, no matter what your next step is, you've already had an impact in getting the people to, to think about what we need to change. Do you think, I'll the last question, cause I wanna let you go know how busy you are, but uh, do you think there are enough people cognizant of the, uh, of the weaknesses, the troubles we face in the military, the things we need to fix. We see China with hypersonic missiles. We're two, hour, two years behind. We see Russia amassing at the Ukraine border, and we're, we're reactive and almost in a second uh, reactive position. We're not proactive. Do you think there's a generation about to come up through the military or through politics that can get in there and tinker with the greatest fighting force man has ever created uh, and, and get it right for the next generation of Americans? Yeah, I... I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe it is amazing to me on my social media people, how many people have responded and said, you can't change it. Yeah. That's the way to deal with it. Like, I think the majority of people think like that and it's kind of scary. They're resigned to uh, not being able to change the future. Yeah. Right. And so I just fundamentally philosophically disagree with these people. Like we have to believe that we can make change. We have to be able to identify these problems. And we have to be able to drum up support and get a loud enough voice to make changes to these problems. Otherwise, we're going to continue to slide into degradation of our national power and our foreign diplomacy abilities. And we will allow somebody else to dictate the terms uh, out there in the global arena of, you know, the landscape of how, how people should behave. Yeah. And over the last century, that's been the United States. And right now, I still believe it's the United States. You know, everyone talked, you were just bringing up the hypersonic weapons. Yeah. Like everyone gets focused on these capabilities that other nations have. But the truth is no other country has the ability to project military power in other places like the United States. So true. If you look at Russia's abilities, it's always border nations. Yep. If you it's look at regional. China, it's all regionally based. Yep. Like the global projection of military power is bar none held, monopolized by the United States. And that's important. And I got it. Other countries are building naval ships and they're trying to do these things. But don't get lulled into this false impression that the United States is out of the arena in terms of being able to project power. Like they're still very much there. And so that's why I hearken back to we need to take a look at these internal fundamental problems, whether it's our education system, whether it's, you know, nepotism, like all these things that could be addressed. Like, no, Lloyd Austin, it's not COVID. We need to look at these things that we're doing, because right now you've got people on the tactical level out there on ships sailing around the Indian Ocean, the Suez Canal, all these places. And if you're going to project them into places where they're going to get into a fight, you owe it to them to address some of these other things that you're not even discussing right now. Yeah, it's such a very important discussion we need to have in America. And uh, it seems to be on the imminent horizon. I think there's a young generation of leaders coming up, uh, your generation, my generation, ready to have a, a more stark conversation about how we continue to make this country as good as it is. Sir, I want to thank you for first your service to your country that we can't get that lost in all the, the politics and the 
the extraordinary social media phenomenon that occurred around you. You served your country bravely and with distinction for a long time. And we can't wait to see how you serve it next. I think that's going to be one of the fun things to watch in 2022 through 2024. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on the show. you got a great followership. So hope to come back and talk to your audience again. We'd love that very much. And we're going to keep in touch with that slate of candidates and see how, how things are progressing. Thanks again, sir. All right, later. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the founder of MeWe, a social media platform that put privacy ahead of business interests. That's right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, one of the most exciting tech CEOs, chairman in all of the country these days. Mark Weinstein is joining me. He's the founder, the chairman, some people call him the chief evangelist of the great social media platform, MeWe, a, a platform that really puts Americans' privacy first. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's great to be here, and I, I really appreciate uh, everybody listening to us today talking about you know, social done right and how we fix the problems of social media so that we can all enjoy being authentic and staying connected. Yeah, such an important thing. I mean, social media is fantastic. I know we have a lot of frustrations with it, but it has changed our lives and it's connected us to people that we lost touch with. It's allowed people like me to share news and get bigger audiences. And uh, it's an amazing thing, but it's had such a tortured three or four years. Um, I wanna take people back for people who don't know the great story of MeWe, because it's a great story. How did this come to be? How did this go from a, an idea in your mind to this incredible platform? You know, uh, it's, it really starts, first of all, everybody, uh, I was in social media in 1998. So we've got to sort of turn our clocks back. Yeah. Uh, and some, some of our listeners may not have been, uh, you know, even born. Um, but uh, social media was here in 1998. It was the beginning of it. I built one of the early social media companies, uh, superfamily.com, superfriends.com. Right. They were PC Magazine, top 100 companies, John. 
back in the day, back in 2000. Um, so I know what social media was invented for. And, and listen, everybody, social media was invented so that we could stay connected with our family and friends and find like-minded interests uh, around the globe uh, using, you know, this new and still then a relatively new invention called the web and get away from email, which it already in 1998 was kind of ghastly and overburdening. Um, and here we are still using it 24 years later. Um, but anyway, so social media was invented then. It was invented for us, for us, the people. It was not invented to be spied on, uh, to be manipulated, to have your opinion manipulated, have you know, your votes manipulated. It was not invented for that. Social media was invented as, you know, to protect your privacy, but to have us really be able to enjoy the web and all the technology offered. And I built, uh, you know, a couple of great ones at the beginning. So fast forward to 2010, and now it's the Facebook era. You know, that era ended. That's Web 1.0. I was part of that. Now we're in Web 2.0. Facebook is around. Facebook has knocked off MySpace. And Mark Zuckerberg does an interview and John, you really got to be sitting down for this. He says privacy is a social norm of the past. Yes, I remember that. Now, yeah, it's a, an un, a unbelievable statement still today. It that, is that a business person would have such power that he could decide for the world that a fundamental human right, an inalienable human right, and an inalienable right of democracy, privacy is dead because it interferes with his ability to make billions of dollars. So my jaw dropped, and I immediately decided that I was going to build a new company that would fix this problem. And it took me a couple of years to pull it together. Uh, interestingly, in, in 2012, Fox interviews me uh, the day before Facebook went public uh, to talk about if there's anything wrong with the Facebook model. And I said, absolutely, they've got this privacy thing wrong. It's going to come back. They're wrong. They Amazing. are just plain wrong about this. Yeah, you were you were right, and they were wrong. <laughs> right, right. But you know what? Here's the here's the thing for all of us: when you can't see the creep spying on you, yep. over your shoulders, so to speak, then you know it's it's like the, the frog in a warming pot of water. You know, we're not aware to what's really happening, to what's what the world that's changing around us, to its impact on our ability to, you know, be private, to have our private thoughts, uh, and, you know, even just to be public, but public just with our friends and families, but all of a sudden, everybody in the world knows about us. Everybody in the world can target us. Uh, and in 2016, we launched MeWe. So it took, you know, a handful of years. I liquidated my retirement accounts. I sold my house. I didn't take a salary for years. I started hiring engineers. Um, and, you know, luckily, we also were able to attract some great thought leaders. The inventor of the World Wide Web, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, joined right. on as an advisor. Uh, lots of great people. Uh, we, we raised money from high net worth uh, investors. Um, and in 2016, we launched. We won a big award as uh, Startup of the Year finalist for Innovative World Technology at South by Southwest. We've won other awards since then, including one of the best entrepreneurial companies in America, uh, by Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, awards by uh, from Fast Company. But so, bottom line, John, MeWe, M-E-W-E, MeWe is here today. It's on your phone. It's on the desktop. 
you've got your privacy bill of rights. You've got everything you love about Facebook, about social platforms, because Facebook has a whole host of features. MeWe competes directly with Facebook, everything you love, and none of the BS. No ads, no targeting, no amplification. Your newsfeed is timeline order, who you're connected to, uh, and it's, it's pure social done right. Yeah, it is 20 a, million people have registered already. How many? 20 million. 20 million. Wow. That is, that is so a we, huge... We almost doubled last year. We've almost doubled every year for the last four years. And now we're, we're about to cross the 20 million registered user mark. That um, is and our amazing. Reviews, the stores, John, our reviews are spectacular. If you look at the stores, at iTunes, at the Play Store, MeWe has over a half million unsolicited, unpaid-for reviews. We have a 4.4 rating out of 5, and Facebook's rating is 2.2 out of 5. Yeah. That tells you something. It's going to go down from there if they keep up some of the antics that they're up to right now. When you started MeWe, this term was coined about its true intent, and I love it because I think it's, it really is the mantra of what you've been able to succeed at. It's a privacy by design social media project, meaning privacy was the first thing that you were thinking about when you got this new community built together. When you compare what you do versus what Twitter and Facebook is, just educate people quickly the difference about what Twitter and Facebook do with our data every day versus what you're doing. Well, first of all, it, our business model is completely different. It turns the industry upside down. Our members are customers to serve, not data to target or sell. And everybody, that's really important. So you'll never get an ad or a news article to you know, change your opinion on something or to outrage you, uh, you know, in your news feed. It can't happen on MeWe. can't happen on MeWe. Uh, our MeWe members are customers to serve, as I said. So MeWe, we're member-supported, and we are a for-profit company. And so what that means is MeWe's free. MeWe is free forever, everybody. Everything you love about social media is free. If you love stories, if you love, uh, you know, disappearing content, if you love, you know, memes and GIFs and, you know, thousands of emojis uh, and great group technology, private groups, open groups, you want to find your, your people who are interested in, in cooking or animals or pets or music or entertainment or, or influencers, we've got pages. Everything you love is there. And... Uh, if you want, you know, so not, for 95% of our members, John, they use free MeWe. Optionally, we have MeWe Premium. It has a handful of extra services, not necessary. You've got tons of stuff that are free. Um, but if you want, you know, unlimited access to our custom emoji store, or if you want live voice and live video, uh, if you want 100 gigs of storage for your My Cloud, because everybody has their own cloud on MeWe, for what, you know, that saves what they post so they can find it, download it, repost it, et cetera. Uh, lots of, of cool, uh, you know, little upgrades. Sure. Uh, about 5% of our users will pay $5 a month, just $5 a month for that. Um, and, you know, that's the idea. The idea is it's like a gaming company in a certain way where, you know, it's, it's in-app if you want, to, you want to grab something. But as I said, you know, 19 out of 20, 95% of our users just use free MeWe and they love it because that's how freemium works. You have to give people a great yep. free service. It has to be a great experience, yep. So no targeting, no newsfeed manipulation, you know, complete privacy. Nobody has access to your data uh, because we don't, we're not selling you. We're serving you. It's a completely different business model. Remember, Facebook is masquerading as a social network. 
they're, you know, they're not serving their members. They're serving the advertisers, marketers, and politicians. It's amazing. It's uh, I mean, another thing I like about it that when I learned about it and, and got deep into it is you get to set your own per- permissions and privacy settings. You you basically are the flight stick. And you know some of us aren't that technical, so we we go to the default thing. But you have that ability to this uh, access and, and control your content. You're in charge of your newsfeed. That's important to me as a news journalist. Um, and I, I think that that is so empowering. A lot of people maybe haven't taken the time to learn how the choices they didn't make with Facebook and Twitter are now impacting their privacy. You start the experience by reminding people, we trust you to control your experience. Um, what, when you look at the, you know, you've won a lot of awards, you're getting a lot of distinctions, right? You've got Fast Company calling you one of the most innovative social media companies in the world, best entrepreneurial company in uh, America from 360. And of course you started with the great award at South by Southwest back in 2016. When you step back now, you're, basically a little over five years into this, what is the DNA that separates you from everybody else? Beyond that, you know, obviously the price stuff, but when customers, when you look at the data, how are customers engaging and what do they get out of me where they can't get anywhere else? Well, you know, the first thing is that, you know, people trust and love MeWe. And that word trust is so important. It is. Because, you know, people don't trust Twitter. They don't trust Facebook. Uh, they don't trust them with their data. They don't trust them to be serving them the, the, their news feeds with, you know, that's not manipulated. You know, I mean, if, if you're connected to all your family and friends on MeWe, then in timeline order in your news feeds, you get every post they make. 100% of the posts of the people and groups and pages you're connected to are in your news feed in timeline order, and people love that. So you can't get that anywhere else. You You can, you know, only on MeWe do you get – a timeline news feed that's not manipulated, that's not disrupted. You know, there's nothing there but what you have chosen to be connected to. So, you know, that, that's such a fundamental difference. Our Privacy Bill of Rights, we're the only social network with a Privacy Bill of Rights. You own your information and content. You never receive targeted third-party ads or content. We think that's creepy. You have full control over your news feed and how the posts appear. We don't manipulate, filter, or change the order of your news feeds. Permissions and privacy are your right. Now, Jonathan, John, it's important to note that, yes, you set your permissions, but don't worry, everybody. If you're full open on MeWe, Google can't see it, so it can't amplify anything. No advertiser or marketer uh, can target or manipulate you. So, you know, you're still, your data is still yours. You can opt out of our member directory to protect your privacy. John, this is important. Let's say you have a 13-year-old kid. Do you know when they sign up for Facebook when they're 13 that they're automatically in Facebook's member directory and they can't opt out? Yep, they're I in. Mean, that's, that's crazy. Of yeah. course you can opt out of our member directory. We don't sell your personal information. Your face is your business. We have never used facial recognition technology. And you can delete your account and take your content anytime. And we're the only company, only social network that has what we call a poison pill in our privacy policy. So that if you want to change, here, here, I'll read it to you. If MeWe changes any aspect of its privacy policy, we will notify you with a link to the changes so you can review and understand them and provide you with an easy way to opt out of our service and delete your account if you wish. Pretty simple. Listen, Pretty clear. Yeah, no, if Facebook had that clause, they would have been out of business six years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
So now we've got to get the word out, John. We've got to get the word out because Facebook interferes with MeWe conversations on its platform, and Facebook is a big news platform. You know, we know that other social networks mute conversations about MeWe. So it's our job to get the word out, and, and thank you very much, by the way, for having me on the show today. Yeah, it is such an important thing for people to learn. And this is really, a, 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 of all the social platforms, and we've played with all of them, Parler and Rumble, uh, this one is so unique in terms of its commitment to privacy and the custom control. Does the business model work? Can you survive with just 5% of you paying and everything else being free? Does that business model work? The answer is yes. And let me tell you, we just implemented it over the last um, two years. So in 2019, we had about $100,000 in revenue. We were really dependent, uh, completely dependent on our investors. Right. Uh, and as I said, we, ha we don't have institutional capital, everybody. We've funded with, from high net worth investors about $23 million, what we've raised to date. Um, and then in 2020, we did about a million dollars in revenue as we started to build out the revenue model. In 2021, we, we probably did about $7 million in revenue. So we are, we are rapidly, you can see it. Yeah, 100000 to $7 million is a big jump. Right, right, right. And this year, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, break the bank, so to speak. We'll keep it going because our members are supporting us. They're loving us. We add more features. We'll add followers to, uh, you know, MeWe Premium. We'll, we'll get music on the platform. We have a lot of great things coming. Web 3.0 is coming. We'll be a leader in that. And, uh, John, I think we should talk about moderation for a second. Please. Because this is another key differentiator. You know, the unfair censorship, the double standards, the, the biased censorship on mainstream social media. I mean, we all know about it. We, you know, many of us have experienced this. Um, when I was on, uh, you know, uh, Mike Huckabee's uh, program a couple of weeks ago, Mike right. and I had a great time, and he talked about he had just been censored on, on Facebook, and yeah. he hadn't done anything wrong. So, you know, we do moderate, and, you know, if, if you've seen me on any of my interviews, anywhere from, you know, Fox to CNN, anywhere, I always talk about fair moderation, because all of us want to be a, in a site where we're comfortable. So, in other words, you know, please, as I said to Mike, I said, Mike, did you incite violence? No. Did you post hate? No. Did you, did you dox? Did you bully? Did you post porn? No, 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 no. Then why are they censoring you? The yeah. backbone, the premise of democracy is disagreement. That's the whole foundation of, of you know, our republic and of democracies worldwide. It's safe to disagree. That's the whole point, guys. It's safe to disagree. On MeWe, you know, bring your opinions to MeWe. Just follow our terms, and, you know, everybody loves it. Now, earlier this, or I guess last year it was now, it's hard to believe already in 2022, uh, Big Harry, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Edel came aboard as CEO. Obviously, he goes all the way back to the parent company of MySpace. Talk about what he brings and where you and him together working are, are moving this company to really broaden. I mean, you're going to have a lot, a lot of new offerings coming into this platform in the next year, right? Right, and, and Jeffrey uh, is a great... You've got a great background, a great CEO, and I'm so busy uh, managing so many pieces. And, of course, of course. you know, out here uh, talking with you. Um, so, uh, you know, Jeff goes all the way back, like you said, to MySpace. He understands social media. He's well-connected, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, big circles that are important to us. So uh, we really will be taking, you know, uh, bringing a lot more content 
um, moving rapidly into Web 3.0, into decentralization, uh, you know, really protecting people's data in a way that's never been done before so nobody can get access to it, and, and really turning up, upside down, uh, you know, the mainstream. And what we call MeWe is the new mainstream um, because this is really where we're going. And, you know, it's already loved by people. By the way, 20 languages. MeWe is international. We're translated into 20 languages. Uh, you know, and for everybody, you know, who wonders, are we political? We're not. MeWe is a lifestyle platform. Have you, you know, this, sure, there's plenty of political groups, but actually most people are interested in animals and pets, food and cooking, fitness and health, music, entertainment, hiking and outdoors, uh, hobbies, you know, photography. There's so many. We have about 500,000 open groups on MeWe that our members have created um, you know, we have also tens of thousands of pages. We have influencers, people that you can follow. Uh, of course, news organizations are on MeWe. So, but it's all what you pick. We don't pick anything for you. It's what you pick. You choose what you want to follow. You choose who you're connected to. You bring your family and friends to MeWe and stay connected privately in your private groups with them. You know, we call it social done right. Yeah, it clearly is. And I want to talk for a second. You, you've mentioned Web 3.0. I don't think a lot of people understand what a disruptive moment this is going to be. We've been living in Web 2.0 probably for a decade now, right? Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, Apple's primary products all thrived in that 2.0 stage. But talk about when you say a decentralized web and uh, talk about how empowering that is to individuals and how MeWe is going to tap into that. I, I don't think people fully appreciate just how disruptive Web 3.0 could be for innovation. You know, uh, everybody, Web 3.0 is go going to be disruptive in a very important way. It's going to be disruptive in, in this sort of privacy revolution, you know, taking our privacy back. Um, it'll decentralize your data so that, you know, big tech won't have ready access to it right now. And I have a TED talk about this called the rise of surveillance capitalism. You know, right now what's being practiced on us, that creep looking over your shoulder is what's called surveillance capitalism. They see everything we do. John, you mentioned at the beginning talking about, you know, the fact that location yeah. can be so easily purchased, you know, our, our locations. Right. And so what will happen is we will become, you know, we'll get our privacy back. We're going to take it back. Um, it's a big movement. Uh, you know, we're going to decentralize. So in other words, our data will no longer be housed on massive centralized servers. Um, you know, this will involve uh, some blockchain, uh, you know, things like that. Um, this is all coming. It's real. It's happening. And, um, you know, this is the way to disrupt because the government can't fix the problem. Now, this is important uh, for everybody. You know, I would like you all to be advocates of Section 230. Don't listen to Facebook saying they need regulation and they need changes to Section 230 because that only serves their interest. That will only institutionalize them. The free market has to be free to work to fix this problem. So, and this is, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to move away from the centralized systems. We're going to give you the great services that you love in social, social networking, you know, this, all this connectedness, but it's going to use new technology. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. It's coming. Uh, we're in the midst of it. Um, because, again, you know, as much as we'd all like, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike to come together 
to fix this uh, stranglehold that uh, yeah. you know the current giants have. That's not going to work. These guys don't know how to fix it, and I've written about this in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I talk about this everywhere. Um, we've got to keep Section 230. We've got to let the free market fix this problem. It's such an important dynamic because competition in the innovative marketplace always is a better solution than many of the policy solutions Washington tries to come up with. And I think that's what you're creating. You're creating a market-driven solution. And those who are at the forefront of Web 3.0 particularly, and specifically those who engage every day on MeWe, they're getting to see this now and what it really means for the future. When you look back now and you look at Jack Dorsey, look at Mark Zuckerberg, Obviously, they created incredible products that people ran to for a while. Where did they go wrong? If, if I could ask you to call balls and strikes for just a second on your competitors, when was the moment that their model created this frustration that we all have now, whether it's censorship out through the algorithm or, geez, uh, they're targeting me all day long because they know everything about me. Where, did they, where were the key decisions that the big tech giants of Web 2.0 went astray? You know, it, it goes back to that interview I did on Fox back in 2012 um, when Mark Zucker, Zuckerberg realized that it was easier to make money by targeting people, by gathering their data and selling access to advertisers, marketers, and politicians. He, he, it's almost like cheating, right? Like he took, you know, the wrong road, the wrong path to profitability. I mean, why not? do what every great restaurant has to do, what, what every great company has to do. You know, Mr. Zuckerberg, why not just treat your, your customers as, as the customers that they are and delight them and serve them and, you know, make your money by delighting your customer. Um, but actually he does that, John. Unfortunately, his customer is the advertiser, marketer, and politician who pays for access. That's why I said Facebook is not truly. They masquerade as a social network. Um, you know, and then with the manipulation of content, uh, you know, then, then it became sort of full circle for them. It's like, okay, you know, now we're letting people target you and now we're going to manipulate what you see. Um, and, it, you know, then you look at what happened, right? Privacy gets, you know, eroded significantly. Democracy gets eroded significantly. And we're left with, oh, my God, we've got to fix this problem. We've got to save democracy. And all I was doing originally, you know, when I decided to start Peewee was, there's a privacy problem. There's a privacy problem, and, and we've got to fix it. So now it's much larger than that. Yeah. And so that's, you know, now we've got privacy. We've got democracy. We've got everything that, you know, that is. And this is just social media. How is it that something called social media... Yeah, got entangled in all these other issues, right? <laughs> right, right. It's like, you know, it, it's a head-scratcher. And so we're talking today, and I'm like, you know, listen, John, all I was doing was fixing a privacy problem. It, yep. it was big, but I thought fixable. And all of a sudden now, we're talking about the world. Such an amazing moment to have watched this evolve to that point. Uh, last question. We got a couple minutes. I just want to ask you this because you, you have a great sense of where the future is headed. Um, you've got, you know, you got the Getters, you've got the Rumbles, you've got um, Cloud Hub, all these different uh, new entrants, and then Donald Trump's going to come in with his true social media. Twenty twenty two seems like a year where even more choices, more competition. Uh, what will be 
some of the big things and trends to watch in 2022 about what the market does, how the market responds to the changes that are underway. They're beginning to flee Twitter. You see the stock down, uh, numbers are down. Uh, Facebook, I think there's a lot of heartburn about it. Uh, are Will there be a mass exodus, you think, in this next year from those traditional platforms to new platforms? Such a, a great and important question. Here's the thing. Uh, and the FT, when the FTC filed their complaint, their, their updated com- antitrust complaint in August with the courts, they referenced only two remaining competitors to Facebook. There's only two. None of those, you know, Twitter's not. It's MeWe, and they also mentioned Snapchat. So Snap, of course, didn't start as a Facebook competitor, but they've added features. Snap was disappearing content. MeWe is the only true Facebook competitor standing that completely turns it upside down and fixes the problems. Uh, you see, you see Rumble taking on YouTube now, and they just spacked. Uh, you see, you know, Getter, Parler, Gab, and, and uh, Truth Social uh, all targeting Twitter. And and I'll tell you why, because you know, Twitter is not a sophisticated uh, engineering endeavor. It's not to build a true social network that has. Everything like MeWe has takes years. Yep. Um, so what we're going to see now is this this land grab for Twitter, you know, and and one of the challenges that they all have, Getter, Parler, Gab, uh, even even Rumble a bit, is they need to be careful about over politicizing the platform because good people are on all sides of the aisle: Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians. And as soon as you go into an echo chamber of just one voice, uh, one theme, then people tire of it quickly. And this is where MeWe has been very determined not to politicize the platform. You can have whatever political opinion or, you know, diet opinion or any opinion you want. Um, You know, we serve all good people. And as I, you know, and so what I think you're going to see is this big challenge to Twitter uh, you know, and probably some competitors are going to pop up. We know that, you know, even Facebook uh, and even me, we we're, we're going to develop uh, some music on the platform so that our users can have a TikTok-like experience without having to be on TikTok, where your data is owned by the Chinese. Um, you know, so we're going to see a shift. Everybody, the shift is happening. It's right in front of us. You know, we grew by almost 10 million new members last year, even though conversations on Facebook are being muted anytime people are talking about MeWe and that's a big funny yeah, yeah. Where, they know, don't manipulate yeah. they say but they do <laughs> but and also we're going to see regulation yeah you know there's no question and I wrote this in um, the Wall Street Journal on October 2nd last year I said I've changed my mind Facebook is a monopoly because two years ago I wrote you know I compete with Facebook they're not a monopoly I wrote that in the Wall Street Journal now it's clear they are absolutely a monopoly. Listen, they're paying content creators a billion dollars to produce content on their platform and therefore disincentivizing them to produce content anywhere else. They have a monopoly over user data. They acquire you know, competitors. They can't touch MeWe, of course. They control the media with Facebook news. I mean, you know, there has to be action against Facebook, but we've got to preserve the free market. And this is the year I think we'll look back and go, this is the year that the change really solid. It became the solid foundation. And people stood up and said, I love social media, but I don't trust the mainstream big manipulators and I'm going to the new guys. 
I think that year is is, is just beginning. I, everyone I talk to seems to have those same sentiments, Mark, and it's a very exciting moment to see competition have impact in the marketplace. Uh, last thing, when people want to get to me, what's the easiest way for people to sign up and dive into this great experience? You know, it's straightforward. Uh, on your apps, just go to the stores, you know, iTunes, the Play Store, download MeWe, and, you know, get rocking and rolling. You'll love it. Um, and on desktop, same thing. You know, we, we are on desktop, fully featured on desktop, fully featured on the apps. Um, and, and just MeWe, M-E-W-E, me and we, right? MeWe. It's very simple. Uh, and thank you, everybody. Thank you for supporting our great company and its mission and its vision and all the great people involved. Well, we're really grateful for the time you spent with us today as well. This is a great learning experience. The, the, this frontier, there's a new frontier in the web and in social media, and MeWe is right there on that on that uh, horizon. So we're very excited to see it, and we hope to get you back on soon. Love to. Thank you, John. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's make 2022 the year that you know we really change social media and we get it straightened out social done right welcome to me we everybody i love the idea and we're going to have you back soon folks we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back we got to wrap things up for the day delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the day. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our two great guests, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, the Marine. You learned a lot about him, what makes him tick, what made him do what he did, where he's headed. Hint, 2024, he said he put a mark on the calendar. Let's check that out in a couple of years. That's going to be an important one. And then, of course, Mark Weinstein at MeWe Social Platform, a platform that really stands out because it said it's not worth having a business model if we have to sell the privacy information of our customers. He created a privacy first social media platform. Almost 20 million people have flocked to it. That's almost half the size of Twitter in America. A big, big number, a big, big response to a company that had a novel idea. Put the customer in their privacy first. Two great guests, two big ideas. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to be back tomorrow with some more stuff. I think tomorrow on the anniversary of January 6th, we will be talking a little bit about have we learned anything really about capital security? All right, we've got the politics, embarrassing Trump, getting 700 people prosecuted, almost all of them misdemeanors, 600 of them misdemeanors, none of them charged with insurrection. But listen, these were stupid, felonious things that people did. They should never have stormed the Capitol. They should never have fought with law enforcement. No good conservative 
beats a police officer. No good conservative violates the law. Conservatives are law and order people by definition. That's the definite part of the key tenets of uh, conservatism. So the people who did these things did bad things. They should be condemned. They are getting punished and rightfully so, I believe. But you know, the bigger question for the American people is, could this be pulled off again? Could a leftist organization, could a terrorist organization, could another conservative event get spiral out of control and the Capitol not be secure? We don't know those answers yet because Nancy Pelosi has directed all this about being about Trump, about the election challenges. And I'm not sure we learned a lot about the security postures and security failings that occurred on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's watch. Hopefully tomorrow we're going to dig into that issue and give you some answers. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for starting the new year with John Solomon Reports and Just the News. I hope you enjoyed the Brad Raffsenberger, not only the interview, but the story we broke on that, the launch of a major investigation into possible ballot harvesting in Georgia. That broke on this show, but became a more detailed story on Just the News, one of the many ways we work together between show and website. And until tomorrow, I hope that God blesses you. I ask that he do bless you and this incredible country of the United States, as he always has. Thank you for listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you.